Hi everyone, welcome back to the Daily Gospel Exegesis uh, from the Logical Bible Study Ministry. Thank you for tuning in. This is the podcast where we look at the the Mass reading for today, the Gospel reading from today's Catholic Mass. And we want to pull it apart a bit. What's the original author trying to communicate to their original audience? Now, today's reading at Mass actually comes in a longer form and a shorter form. So, uh, depending on which one your parish or your priest chooses, it could either be John chapter 21 verses 1 to 14, or it could go all the way to one to nine, from 1 to 19. So, 1 to 14 covers uh, the appearance by the lakeside after Jesus' resurrection, and there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on there. And then the following verses, if your parish includes it, verses 15 to 19, is the exchange between Jesus and Peter about, do you love me? And that is a, a whole study in, a, in and of itself. So today, we're just going to focus on the short version, verses 1 to 14, uh, because there's a lot in here to talk about, and there's even more to talk about. If we include uh, verses 15 to 19, it will become a very long episode. But if you do want to hear an exegesis of the interaction between Jesus and Peter in verses 15 to 19, you can hear that on Friday of the seventh week of Eastertide. So, uh, towards the end of the Easter season, just before Pentecost, you can hear an analysis of that text. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. It was by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened like this. Simon Peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two more of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They replied, we'll come with you. They went out and got into the boat, but caught nothing that night. It was light by now, and there stood Jesus on the shore, though the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus called out, have you caught anything, friends? And when they answered, no, he said, throw the net out to starboard and you'll find something. So they dropped the net and there were so many fish that he could not haul it in. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. At these words, it is the Lord. Simon Peter, who had practically nothing on, wrapped his cloak round him and jumped into the water. The other disciples came on in the boat, towing the net and the fish. They were only a hundred yards from land. As soon as they came ashore, they saw that there was some bread there and a charcoal fire with fish cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore full of big fish, 153 of them. And in spite of there being so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples was bold enough to ask, Who are you? They knew it quite well that it was the Lord. Jesus then stepped forward, took the bread and gave it to them, and the same with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after rising from the dead. So that's our passage for today. It's quite a well-known one and quite a a beautiful one for many people. So what's the context? By now, Jesus has risen on Easter Sunday and he appeared several times in Jerusalem. 
During those appearances, Jesus told the apostles to go back to Galilee. And he said that if you go back to Galilee, that's where you'll see me again. So after eight more days in Jerusalem, the apostles make their way back to Galilee. And that's a 60 mile journey. So it would have taken them probably a few days to get back to Galilee. And that's where most of them are from, the Galilee area, except for a couple of them. So once they get to Galilee, the picture we get is the apostles... They sit and wait for Jesus. They're just sitting and waiting for him to appear. They're following his instructions. They know that he's going to come, but they don't know when. Jesus has said, I'm going to appear in Galilee. That's where he did most of his ministry early on. And that's where he finishes. And that's where he gets ascended into heaven. Now, John, the author here, doesn't tell us how long they've been waiting for in Galilee. So we don't know how long it's been since they traveled from Jerusalem. A lot of scholars would say it's probably not long a matter of days or maybe a week after they traveled from Jerusalem. What we're going to see here is the seventh appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. So we've already had the appearances to the women and the appearances in the room in Jerusalem. This is now appearance number seven. Now, some it's worth noting uh, in terms of literary criticism, some scholars think that this chapter was added later because there's Chapter 20 sort of has a mini conclusion in it, and now we have chapter 21. So some have thought that means that this chapter was added onto the end later. I think the evidence for that is not particularly strong, uh, because what we see here in 21 wraps up everything John has been talking about before that. But it's worth um, pointing that out as well, that you might encounter that claim. So verse 1, they're by the Sea of Tiberias. So that's another name for the Sea of Galilee, which is that big lake where Jesus spends most of his time doing ministry. And the apostles were quite familiar with this area. They spent a lot of their time there. It says, John says, it happened like this. So notice that John wants to make clear to his readers that he's giving an accurate depiction of what actually occurred. He says, it happened like this. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two more of his disciples. So John here lists the people that are present at this scene. Notice it's not all of the apostles. Only five of the apostles are here, plus two more of the other disciples. Some scholars have thought, it's important that we say this because sometimes you'll hear it presented this way, Some scholars have thought that the disciples have gone back to Galilee to go back to their old ways, to just go back to fishing. They've kind of given up on Jesus and they've just gone home. And they weren't expecting Jesus to return. That doesn't really make sense, though, if you think about what's going on in this scene. Of the apostles that are listed here, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana, the sons of Zebedee, only a few of them are fishermen. Simon, James and John are fishermen. The others are not fishermen. So it doesn't make sense that they've all just gone back to Galilee to go back to their old ways because some of them didn't come from Galilee and some of them certainly weren't fishermen. So it appears that what's going on here is they've gone back to Galilee and they're basically just sitting around waiting for Jesus and some of them happen to be fishermen. Verse 3, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing, which makes sense because he's a fisherman and they reply, we'll come with you. In all honesty, they're probably just bored and they're looking for something to do while they wait for Jesus. They're not sure how long he's going to be. So they went out and got into the boat, but caught nothing that night. And nighttime was the usual time for fishing on the Sea of Galilee. 
Verse 4, John says, It was light by now, so it's early morning the next day. There stood Jesus on the shore. So Jesus apparently pops up out of nowhere here, but the disciples do not realize that it was Jesus. Now, there's a couple of reasons why they might not recognize him. We've talked about this in the podcast a bit. Often in Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, people don't recognize him initially. And there's two possible explanations. It could be that he's appearing in a different form, and there's some passages which indicate that. Or it could be that God has supernaturally blinded them so they don't recognize him. Or a combination of both. It's certainly not because of the distance. It's not like he's too far away and they can't recognize him. I think in this case, it's because Jesus looks different. There's something different about him that they can't quite put their finger on. Verse 5, have you caught anything, friends? The Greek is actually a bit different there. The Greek actually reads, Jesus says, you haven't caught anything, have you? So it makes it clear that Jesus expects no to be the answer. Maybe because he wants the disciples to realize that they can't do anything without him. But on the other hand, if they rely on him, he'll provide the abundance when there is a lack. And all through, as we go through today's um, text, there's perhaps these spiritual overtones about what do the fish mean? What does this encounter mean in terms of Jesus supplying the needs of the apostles? So they answer, no, we haven't caught anything. So he says, throw the net out to starboard and you'll find something. So starboard is the right side of the boat. Now, we shouldn't take this to mean that all night they had it on the left side of the boat and they hadn't thought of going to the right side. That's probably not correct. They probably did have it on the right side. It's just that what's happened now is Jesus has supernaturally arranged for the fish to come up to the right side of the boat. And so they dropped the net and there were so many fish that they could not haul it in. So this is a nature miracle. Jesus controls the movement patterns of fish here, which is pretty incredible. Lots has been written about the theological implications of this. So some scholars say that what John is trying to get across to his audience is that if disciples of Jesus try to do things in their own strength, they will get nowhere. But when they rely on the Lord and they follow his instructions, then there's a large harvest and God provides the result. So that will be an example of a spiritual reading of the text. Does John intend that to be the meaning? Maybe, but we can't be sure. For in this podcast, we just want to stick with what's the literal, most obvious thing that John is trying to get across, and he's just trying to narrate what actually happened. Not to rule out those other interpretations, but we just can't be as sure of those spiritual interpretations. Verse 7, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. How does the beloved disciple know that it's the Lord? Probably because the beloved disciple remembers that this exact same thing has happened earlier when they first met Jesus in Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11, or at least when their ministry on the Sea of Galilee started. So in the very same place in Luke chapter 5, Jesus gets the apostles to cast their net again and they get a massive haul of fish. The, the beloved disciple, was probably John, remembers that and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. Verse 8, at these words, it is the Lord, Simon Peter, who had practically nothing on, wrapped his cloak round him and jumped into the water. So Peter would have been wearing a thin outer garment for his manual labor as a fisherman, and he feels, so he's a bit ashamed, he feels that that's not presentable if he's going to meet Jesus. 
So he wraps an extra cloak around himself and he jumps into the water and swims over to Jesus. He's so enthusiastic to get to Jesus. Notice the level of detail that John, as the author, includes here. That indicates that it's an eyewitness that we get this information from. It, uh, the writer John knows that the information was attained from the beloved disciple, that it's the Lord, and they know what Peter was wearing and that he wrapped a cloak around himself. So certainly it does seem like the beloved disciple is John, the author himself. The other disciples came on in the boat, towing the net and the fish. They were only about a hundred yards from land. So they want to bring the fish into shore. So they come into shore. They're not that far out. So it wouldn't have taken them too long to bring it in. Although it's a very heavy catch. As soon as they came ashore, they saw that there was some bread there and a charcoal fire with fish cooking on it. So Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. Why? Well, these are his closest companions and he knows they've been working all night. So the least he can do is give them some breakfast. Notice what he's cooking. He's cooking bread and fish. Now, these were pretty common foods at the time, so there might might not be any significance there. But on the other hand, Jesus might have deliberately chosen to cook bread and fish because he wants the disciples to recall the multiplication miracles he performed with bread and fish earlier on, the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, which involved bread and fish. Verse 10, Jesus said, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Jesus wants them to add some of the fish they've caught and add it to the fire so that there's enough breakfast for everyone. And again, a spiritual reading of this might suggest that Jesus wants us to add our efforts into his to partner with him in order to expand the kingdom. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore full of big fish. So Simon jumps into the boat and he unhooks unhooks the net and drags it into shore. Now that's not easy considering the disciples struggled to pull it up earlier, but somehow Peter manages to pull it in by himself. And there was 153 fish in the net. Clearly, again, we have evidence of an eyewitness. Only an eyewitness would know how many fish there was when they counted them. What's the significance of the number, 153? Why does John feel necessary to count them and include the number here? There's lots of different suggestions. Some have thought it has something to do with the number of nations that the apostles are going to preach to. I think the most likely explanation on the literal sense is that John is just including the number here to communicate to his readers just how many fish there was, to communicate that it really was miraculous. There's 153 fish. And also to highlight John basically saying, I was there, I saw the fish. So I don't know if there's any particular significance to the number. And in spite of there being so many, the net was not broken. Now this is interesting because in Luke, in Luke chapter 5, the first time they pulled the net in of uh, fish that Jesus gave them, In that case, the net did break, but here the net does not break. Maybe there's some significance to that, to the fact that the net doesn't break. Some have suggested, and this probably could be right, the fact that Peter hauls in an unbroken net all by himself symbolizes the unity of the apostles under the headship of Peter. So Peter is the one who's in charge of ensuring the net doesn't break and that the church remains unified. I like that explanation. I think that maybe John was trying to get that across when he included it. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So they all sit down together around the fire. 
None of the disciples was bold enough to ask, Who are you? They knew quite well that it was the Lord. Now, that's an interesting verse. If they know it's the Lord, why do they need to ask? What's what's the concern here? Why are they sort of wondering whether they should ask him if they know it's him? I think that suggests that he does look different. They're a little bit confused. It's like they know deep down inside that it must be the Lord, but there's something when they look at him that makes them a bit unsure. Maybe he looks different. The second question that arises from this strange verse is, why are the disciples not bold enough to ask Jesus? Why not just say, are you Jesus? Maybe they don't want to be seen as being weak in faith. They don't want to be the one that asks the question. Maybe, but it's just speculation. Now, interestingly, earlier in John chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus predicts this day. He predicts that he's going to appear to the apostles. And he says to the apostles, on that day, you will not question me about anything. And that's essentially what happens here is they don't want to ask him anything. Verse 13, Jesus then stepped forward, took the bread and gave it to them. And the same with the fish. So Jesus is the host of the meal again. This was the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after raising from the dead. Now, John says it's the third time, although we need to pull this apart a bit because John has actually narrated four appearances because there's the appearance to Mary Magdalene as well. So by now, this would be the fourth appearance. And in fact, if we add all the Gospels together, um, adding in some information from Matthew and Luke, this is actually the seventh appearance of Jesus. So why does... John says the third appearance. Well, notice what the text says, and this is why it's important to look at the text itself. This was the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples. This is actually the third time that Jesus shows himself to the collective group of disciples, and that's what John is talking about. The first time was late on Easter Sunday when he appears in the room, and then the second time was the following Sunday when Thomas was present. Now, this is the third time when he appears to the disciples collectively. Many scholars believe that what we've just seen here is this miraculous catch of fish is in some way symbolic of the apostles' mission to be fishers of men in the world, and maybe there's all this symbolism going on between Jesus and the apostles, potentially, although I don't think that's entirely clear. I think it might just be that John is recounting this story because he was there and he saw it happen. Now, after this, if you continue reading John chapter 21, there's that conversation between Jesus and Peter about feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Um, But that comes in later in the liturgical year. So we'll look at it a bit later on in this podcast. Now, that's the end of our passage, and we just want to look briefly at where does the Catechism talk about this passage? What does the Catholic Church believe about it? Well, in paragraph 645, in the condition of Christ's risen humanity, there's a discussion about Jesus' body after he's risen. It says, By means of touch and the sharing of a meal, the risen Jesus establishes direct contact with his disciples. He invites them in this way to recognize that he is not a ghost and above all to verify that the risen body in which he appears to them is the same body that had been tortured and crucified, for it still bears the traces of his passion. Yet at the same time, this authentic real body possesses the new properties of a glorious body, not limited by space and time, but able to be present how and when he wills. For Christ's humanity can no longer be confined to earth, 
and belongs henceforth only to the Father's divine realm. For this reason too, the risen Jesus enjoys the sovereign freedom of appearing as he wishes, in the guise of a gardener or in other forms familiar to his disciples, precisely to awaken their faith. And it references there the passage we've seen from John chapter 21, perhaps because in John chapter 21, Jesus appears to be showing up in this form that the disciples don't fully recognize. And then in paragraph 448, there's a discussion about the word Lord and what the word Lord means. It says, very often in the Gospels, people address Jesus as Lord. This title testifies to the respect and trust of those who approach him for help and healing. At the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Lord expresses the recognition of the divine mystery of Jesus. In the encounter with the risen Jesus, the title becomes adoration. My Lord and my God. It thus takes on a connotation of love and affection that remains proper to the Christian tradition. Quote, it is the Lord. And so that last phrase there, it is the Lord, comes straight out of John chapter 21. And that is something that all Christians can reflect on and think about. Do we believe that Jesus is Lord? So we'll leave it there for today. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this, if you're liking what you hear and you believe the ministry is worth supporting, please prayerfully consider becoming a a supporter, a financial supporter of the podcast. And there's more information about the Patreon page and all the exclusive benefits you can get in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks. We'll see you again tomorrow as we continue to explore Jesus' post-resurrection appearances.